welcome to Witch, the Women in Technology Creative Industries Hub, elevating the voices of women in tech. My name is Bishi, the founder of Witch. In this podcast, I'll be talking to a woman in tech about her work, journey. In this episode, I'll be talking to electronic music composer, producer and musician, Gazelle Twin. Please do like, review and subscribe. We're a new podcast and every bit of support helps. Hello and welcome to Creative Women in Tech, Elizabeth. How are you doing in this current lockdown? Hi. Um, yeah, getting through, I think. Um, not really getting much work done. But um, I'm looking after my four-year-old boy and my four-month-old boy. Um, and we are still kind of trying to figure out our daily schedule and how we should be doing things and how much we can achieve is kind of based on our amount of sleep that we've had the night before. Um, it's just, yeah, they're just filling up all my space at the moment. So in some ways, that's really good just because it's, it's a nice distraction, really. Otherwise, I think I'd be just getting sucked into the news and all kinds of nasty corners of the internet. So, yeah, doing all right, doing all right. I'm, I'm pretty, pretty chomping at the bit to get back to writing, which is which is my task for this year. But um, and some other projects and stuff. But but yeah, I think just at the moment, it's just about staying safe, really, isn't it? And staying healthy and just looking out for your families and friends and things. Absolutely. So. Well, even so, it's been a really interesting year in terms of releases which are either imminent or interesting projects that have come out this year. I'm going to get to that a little bit later. Um, I first wanted to start with um, asking you, where did your journey with music begin? Oh, good question. Well, I was child definitely <laughs> um I, I was brought up in a very um it's going to sound very privileged and very middle class but I, I was brought up in a really musical household and my parents um played a lot of music when we were babies and children so and a lot of a lot of it was classical or jazz um so we just thought I sort of just grew up with that all around me really which um you know I'm really pleased that, that I had that um privilege so it kind of started there my my family were quite musical my dad plays a guitar um my brother plays a guitar everybody sings um and has an ability in some way or another that's creative so it just kind of became part of my life really from from the word go but i think probably a turning point in my you know being a child messing around with a piano and a recorder uh, to me actually like starting to build the, the foundation of of a career if I could call it that was when I was probably a teenager and I was kind of using very basic cassette based recording equipment and um, a synthesizer and guitar any anything that had tan really that was in the house just to write my own songs which were pretty much just all like porter's head rip-offs <laughs> but um even so i was just really get i was just getting into like you know early kind of really super basic production and just mood music you know electronic dark stuff and and i kind of often say like 
that's that's where I started recording and producing really and then I kind of you know went and did my sort of formal education in music and sort of learned you know the academic side and learn how to write music um for orchestras or whatever but kind of I always kind of went back to that original just feeling my way just using whatever was to hand and just producing from from my you know from my own kind of feeling from my own core really um yeah so it's kind of kind of grew very naturally I'd say yeah well, it's interesting that you were talking about early tape recorders and, and that kind of technology, because one of the questions I was going to ask is like, what were the first um, sort of bits of technology that, you know, that started to impact your music making? But now that I've heard about these Portishead rip-off styles, they <laughs> sound great, by the way. Do you still have them? Or <laughs> I think I, I think they're somewhere on a cassette somewhere. I need to rescue them, really. I mean, I, I don't think I'd ever come to make these uh, public for listening. But yeah, they're nice things to have, I think. But I, I think I used to just like have them on my Walkman at school, and I just used to sort of play them to the odd person and. You know, be like, yeah, I just made this. Yeah. But yeah, no, I don't think I really ever showed them to anyone. <laughs> they're, they're, they're very, um, <clears throat> they're very teenaged, if you know what I mean. Yeah, but that's, <laughs> I mean, that's where, I mean, you know, so much raw, you know, so much, so many raw emotions happening during our teenage years, you know. Mm. And it's, it, it's interesting. I, I was wondering, because, uh, um, I've been listening to a lot of your music all afternoon, which I've loved. And there's a really interesting interplay between what sounds like quite formal training, not that it's, you know, stayed or, or, or stiff in any way, but I definitely get a sense that this person must have had some kind of training. And that's juxtaposed by things that feel very industrial and there's um, there's a polarity in your music between the beautiful and the absolutely brutal. And I think that comes down to even in your presentation and your videos and, you know, and I've never said this to you, but it doesn't matter. I'm going to say it, but, you know, you're a beautiful woman <laughs> um, and, you know, and yeah, there are these polarities between your beauty and the brutalness and was that a conscious decision or was that something that you just that you felt your way through oh, thank you i have to say thank you very much for the compliment um uh as always i feel very plain in your glamorous presence species <laughs> i'm always like oh i should have maybe worn some color this time it's just not it's just not what i do this is my zoom shirt um was it a conscious thing yeah it was really um i think i grew up i grew up with quite a, a vain family really and i definitely had I think as a many teenagers growing up in the 80s and 90s will, will have possibly shared is is you know the color of culture that we were bombarded with and still are maybe worse now um i was very aspirational to that and um and i enjoyed you know dressing up and wearing makeup and pretending i was a model basically and, um and i think 
I, I always had that in my head that I wanted that I, you know that I was I had to push that aspect of myself and that that was kind of where my identity was founded mm. and um and there's nothing wrong with that if you know what you have to back it up is you know um substantial and I still wear makeup and I still like dressing up but there came a point where um because of I think because of how it affected me as a teen physically I think we've you know because I I did a presentation with you where I talked about my my teenage years which were um very pivotal in that I suffered from a really terrible body image and and that was really destructive um and just affected the rest of my life really but I didn't really realize it until until I think I was trying to sort of establish myself as a solo artist and trying to establish myself in a way that um maybe kind of tapped into those negative feelings and I started to feel those negative self-critical things coming back um and they were kind of destroying that kind of whole process for me a little bit and I just thought well what if I just eliminate those um and what if I just you know forget about anything to do with my my image and my features and my body and I just you know take the focus away take the focus straight into into the music if I can is it possible it was kind of an experiment I didn't know if I could do it um and that's kind of just where Gazelton was born it was just born out of I mean that wasn't the only reason but um you know I just wanted to sidestep that whole quandary really I didn't want to sort of worry about how I looked on stage how I'd be photographed um and you could argue that that's kind of a a sort of extreme position of vanity as well just by being completely in control by completely taking myself away from it but it really was just you know it just felt like the right thing to do and it also enabled me to just open up a whole other world of uh, of creative um weirdness that I kind of had always been interested in in any way and you could that I couldn't really have done always just with my my own identity and my own sort of face and stuff being present or at least I didn't think that and I don't think that yet um and then you know it was just that that pressure that you you know we all feel especially as women in, in this industry yeah. I'm you know I'm 40 this year and I could feel that if I'd gone that route I think I would have started to to have suffered more maybe um because it's you know from from the other artists that I've spoken to of similar ages it's definitely a thing it's definitely a setback and it's shit but I mean you can you don't have to you don't even have to take that into question really you can you can go another way yeah. so there that was the that was the plan I think I think I also really love I grew to really love the transformative um, qualities of, of wearing costume and wearing masks that I just initially it was just a way to sort of, you know, omit myself from the kind of the visual. But at the, over time, when I had experience of performing in that way, I felt like the the rush was like immense just to just to perform and to be kind of I've described it recently as like a a virtual reality of you know just being in you know kind of um contained in another person's head um and i i 
really have found that one of the most liberating things of choosing to to not show my face and the impact that it has on an audience as well i think probably coupled with the aggressive sort of music stuff that you're talking about just has yeah just it just makes me feel quite powerful and i think i'd never have managed to get to that point i think or at least if, if i had gone the route without wearing costume it would have taken me a long time and a lot to have broken through that initial self-consciousness so so yeah that's my really long answer to that question no i love it like as you were speaking i was thinking of certain eras of cindy sherman i was also thinking of just it was coming into my head that Gillian wearing piece where she's covered in plaster and she's in peckham she's in peckham rye rail just in the arch when you come out of peckham rye and she's totally covered with like you know like with a wig on and oh wow what, like what else i was thinking of um lynn hirschman leeson who's another artist that i'm just becoming more and more obsessed with she's one of the first people the first artist to make a holographic mirror and it was tilda swinton's face i don't know if you've ever seen the film techno lost absolutely really really amazing but she was one of the first artists to ever make a holographic mirror of tilda's face sort of talking at you but in the (laughs) 70s she created this really um i'm forgetting the name i'm forgetting the name of the character but she created this really scary avatar so like full like face coverage and like a curly wig and 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 this character she would get other people to dress up as this character so there was five of them in an army and (laughs) really scary but conceptual and i keep thinking about the fact that she was doing this at the same time that all of andy warhol and all the factory and all of that was going on so that Mm. was a lot more beautified and, and a lot more keying into the escape of glamour and Hollywood, mm-hmm. which is where I think I get a lot of what, you know, like what I'm into is that the glamour is more just about escaping and kind of being out of my body, even mm-hmm. though I get tons of shit for it. But also, um, <laughs> also I was having a, a really interesting conversation with another composer yesterday, and we were talking about how you're read as a woman in professional situations. And she's a lot more butch, which I also think is fabulous. But it's almost like it doesn't matter if you're really attractive or if you're butch or if you or if you're young or if you're old, you you will just get shit for it, you know, mm. <laughs> like not to be too depressing, but it <laughs> comes with challenges. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's 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 the whole structure, isn't it, that we that we're all very aware of now. And, it, you know, obviously people have been challenging that for a while, but um you know we need to ramp it up a bit and i think eventually maybe just maybe things will equalize slightly but who knows yeah i i I, i've had i've had my fair share of oh what the fuck are you wearing you know that kind of thing i've had i've been in dressing rooms getting ready and had like techies walk in and just burst out laughing at me (laughs) and just stuff like what the fuck like zero you know people just want to or people want to reach and grab and pull off your your hat or whatever or your face covering and yeah it provokes it provokes something in people but but that provocation is is so much more interesting isn't it yeah because you you know because you're already armed with yeah i do i'm doing this because of this exact thing so yeah it's quite nice to just 
rile people up a little bit even though it can be you know nasty and i'm sorry to hear you get that and i know you've said before that you <laughs> you you kind of get that sort of certain type of person who just wants to cut you down and they just don't know you know they don't know the context or anything behind it they just see the end product and they make their their judgment and i mean that's kind of the culture we live in isn't it i mean it's it couldn't be more like that now really with with the way people are consumed as as individuals on tv especially um, yeah well my voted up or down or whatever yeah totally well my friend's little daughter is 11 and she already wants lip filler and it's like we're trying to sit the little girl down and say listen you are talented because she's really talented really musical you are talented you are already beautiful inside you don't need to do anything that's it you're it, it's already there like so yeah, yeah. anyway <laughs> um, I, like let's talk about some of the releases that have come out recently um i was listening to it was the soundtrack for nocturne is that the correct title for that for this album yeah or, or for the soundtrack yeah. So it's absolutely beautiful. And I, I did a big like van camp, like half piss shopping spree in December and got that. I was so happy. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> yeah, I love it. I love van camp. What was the process of making this music? And are there any synths or any microphones or, you know, were there any specific recording uh, techniques or equipment that you were into while you were making the soundtrack? So, well, to start off with, it was it was um, a really nice brief that I had from the director, who is a musician herself, a classical classically trained um, violinist, and she, you know, a lot of the film, without giving too much away, is set in a, a music um, school, a music conservatoire in America, um, and it kind of just deals with the whole sort of horrible kind of competitive drama of that situation when you're a teenager which she very much experienced and so she wanted there to be a really strong classical element obviously in in the in all the whole story but in the music as well so she came to me just through through my um existing music and just i guess she heard that kind of maybe classical edge that um, that you were talking about maybe i don't know but she sort of wanted to meld the two. So she was really, really direct and really clear about the brief. It was really easy to sort of just lock into that. And so some of the pieces that we were using as a basis were like existing pieces. So like 16th, 17th century uh, pieces of music um, that I was kind of just echoing really, and then just trying to build and meld, merge into this, into this kind of slightly what's the word, kind of witchy, sort of witchcrafty type of world that, that that emerges. So it was really enjoyable and it was just, I was very given a lot of freedom to sort of just experiment, which is nice, and do what I do, which is mostly use voice to, um, to create kind of certain textures and drama and it ranged from really simple kind of choral arrangements using my voice um pitched down just simple uh digital pitch repitching to kind of having to go back to the keyboard and actually like learn to play stuff again because I, I i don't really do a lot of playing now like, like it's so much of it is computer based and and 
vocal based and you know I can automate stuff without having to actually physically play it but with this I was actually actually got sent the sheet music for the the piece that much of the score is based around which is by uh, Giuseppe Tartini and I was having to sort of go back and like clumsily like key in all the notes so I could work out and rearrange a vocal version it was it was quite a challenge for my sort of music brain which I appreciated because it kind of got me back into it again but really like in tech terms so simple it, what what I use is, is very simple it's usually here in my slightly messy studio with my my sort of beta 58 microphone which I usually just use because it's like the most live sort of feel that I can get when I'm singing I, I don't really like having to stand really still near condenser mics and I don't really like the kind of the, the harshness of them sometimes I quite like to be able to yell and shout and not have to and move around and not have to sort of worry about about kind of you know wrecking wrecking my equipment so my trusty beta 58 and Ableton which is what I've used since the beginning sort of self-taught I'm just trying to think if I used anything specific. I mean, just in terms of kind of treatments, I I tend to use very similar processes, but try to, you know, like use them sparingly. So I use a lot of repitching of my vocal, which I've already mentioned. But in this one, I think I also, I whipped out my, um, my recorder in this as well and did some really low, that well, those low as low as I could get on the recorder, and then repitched those as well. It just kind of gives quite a hellish drone effect. But yeah, I, can't, I wish I could say yeah, but this synth and I use this. Synth. I've got a lovely Moog uh, Mother Thirty Two and Defab right here, which I, I wish I could say yeah. I've kind of yeah, like used loads of that, but I, I actually didn't use that in this because I think what I just found that what I had was like making synths from my voice and kind of using using Ableton's kind of amazing sounds to sort of just build that world really because I think the brief whilst there was this classical kind of requirement there was also this discussion about there being quite a contemporary electronic feel I think um, Ableton was perfect for that actually so so yeah if I think of anything else, I might have forgotten something that I've used, but I, if, I'll let you know if I do. <laughs> yeah. But otherwise, super simple. Oh, yeah, yeah. No worries. And you recently had a track on it, on the Cyberpunk compilation. That's a video game. It is. Did you make something new for that, or did they license something that was already around? Or... Yeah, um, no, I, I, was, um, I was approached by the production team so this was ages ago probably 2018 and I think I had this conversation earlier actually I, don't, I can't remember how they discovered my music I never actually asked but one way or another one of the production people was was into my stuff and just said we're inviting people to write tracks for this game you have to sign this NDA mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and yeah this is the deal blah 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 and you know once it's released we you know we'll probably release it whatever uh once the game's released we'll release release it on a soundtrack so it was really straightforward they just said oh we just like something with the beat in and 
you know, told me the theme of the game and just kind of gave me the space to do it. And I had something that was really like early stage demo that worked really well. I just finished writing um, Pastoral and it was just, had a, it had that kind of edgy vibe. Um, so yeah, so I kind of shelved that for them and, and did it and waited for the game to come out, which took ages. Um, but yeah, it was fun. It was really fun to do that. I, I was really stoked to be asked because I, I love video games if I ever get the time to play them again. Um, <laughs> and, and this one kind of seemed cool. It's had some controversy around it, as I'm sure you know, with all kinds of different things from uh, the game itself to the culture of, around the company of the game. But I won't get into that now. Okay, okay. <laughs> yeah, I, um... Like, I mean, what I know mainly about it is it's got like a really kick-ass, you know, just Grimes is wrote something. Sophie, you know, rest in peace, Sophie. Wrote yeah. Something. You wrote something. I saw, you know, I saw a bunch of other names that, you know, are either artists that I really like or people who sound really interesting. So whoever put that soundtrack together has got some serious taste. In my <laughs> yeah. I, I agree. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was yeah, it's amazing to be part of that. And even now, when I see it pop up and um, you know see my name alongside some of those those kind of powerhouses, I just think, oh wow, that was that was good. That was that was a fluke. <laughs> I'll take it. <laughs> I saw a picture on Facebook of one of my friends two-year-old daughters with a copy of the vinyl kind of eating the corner which I thought was really oh wow he has like a tiny Beryl. layer on and he's like dog-eared eating the side of a record just just you know like that that is where social media is great <laughs> um so yeah I wanted to talk to you and ask you about your upcoming album with the Knicks choir Deep England so who are Nyx and how did this collaboration come together? Well, Nyx are a really amazing set of women um, who use electronic machines to, um, to produce and perform choral music, which, you know, what is not to love about that, that combination of things? Um, they are led by, um, uh, the creative director Sean O'Gorman who arranges and writes quite a bit of the music as well and she's got an amazing voice she's just just in her own right an incredible musician um, and they I don't know when they set up actually it might be I, I know that it wasn't that long ago but um, like sort of you know maybe 2016 2017 I might be wrong there but they approached me in the summer of 2018 um, with um, a project that they were working on, which was a series of concerts um, intended to be like deep listening content, concerts. So not kind of your standard, you know, audience plus, you know, support bands and then performance and then over and everything. It was more like inviting the audience to really come in and, and really become immersed in something large scale in, in terms of the sound that they were making. Um, which I thought was just really unusual and really exciting because I don't think I'd really ever heard of anything like that. Um, and at the time I was just about to release Pastoral um, 
so the idea I think originally would have been sort of created some music especially for the choir that we would have then performed but at that point in time I'd only just managed to finish this record after like four years <laughs> and I just knew I wouldn't have time to like write a whole other bunch of stuff so we decided to just take a couple of those tracks and um and just rework them into the into the choir into the setup that they had at that time which I think was about nine people um so yeah so that's what we did and um the results were incredible Sean arranged the music um really perfectly and expertly um and we just had a couple of rehearsals in London and then did this show and I've forgotten the name of the venue um is it King's Place no no it wasn't King's Place it was somewhere a bit smaller than that and it was it's kind of Bethnal Greeny type way oh I can't I should have looked this up before I did this <laughs> anyway <laughs> we did the show um and it was really great and it just felt amazing we had full costume and they just put everything into it you know just so enthusiastic and really came on the ride with me and pastoral was quite a new thing for me at that point i think we we performed this choral version i'd, I'd only done a, a handful of shows for the pastoral tour so it was all quite new to me and then i had this new other version of things and i was still kind of getting to grips with what it what it was all about and it was just amazing to have that shape the rest of my my sort of tour journey for for that it was really quite a quite an experience that i won't ever forget so i was really thrilled when they came back the year after and just said let's do the show again but let's do it let's you know get some funding let's do a proper production um and they just they're just amazing i have to say they're the most organized group i've ever met like it's, it just pales in comparison the amount of like organizational skills that i have compared to them luckily i have a manager to organize me and agents and things but like they are just amazing they they have the most amazing producer philip anneals and and josh um Josh Thomas, they just they just know who to go to and they know what they're doing and they're brilliant and they're really well connected and lovely. Yeah. <laughs> gush, gush, gush. Yeah, no, no, you know, that's that's so good to hear. And it's it's so important in collaboration that, you know, it's um I think about this a lot. Ultimately everything is just about good and great relationships where you know you really have each other's back. You know and when you're in it when you're making something and you feel that it transforms the entire process for everybody oh god totally yeah. and i i have to like add i i work quite in quite a solitary way and i've been in bands before um but um never with like oh never, never with just women and this experience for me was initially quite daunting because I think I've always had this kind of fear of groups of women just from my from my history. Yeah, um, I hear you. It, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> women are scary. They can be amazing and scary at the same time. Um, but it was, a, you know, couldn't, couldn't have imagined a more wonderful group of people. Um, and I just kind of felt so at, at ease with them and just spending time singing together was something I've never done either um I just felt yeah the way that they 
prepared for concerts really really won me over to I think you're talking about having each other's back well literally before we did our first show you know we all got into a ring and we were kind of massaging each other and doing vocal warm-ups and stuff and I was just sitting there thinking I've never done this before again normally I'm just sat in a dressing room with like one other person and maybe like having a swig of something and just like <laughs> you know getting into my kind of zone but this was like a whole other plane of like this sort of female kind of energy that was really intriguing and new to me actually so yeah yeah it was, it was just really cool really really um, really cool and did you and you and the album was produced by Marta Salogni? Yes. Yeah. yeah. She 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 recorded and engineered it as well. Amazing. And what was it what was it like working with her? Can you talk me through the process of, of what that was like? Just a dream. She's just so on it. She she's really open and really knowledgeable about you know what we were trying to achieve and she's just fluid. Just fluid. You know, she had you, her face never kind of yeah, we had a few we had a really really uh tight turnaround with it so we had like two days to record it and it took pretty much best part of a day to set up the studio because it was such you know it's like seven i think at the, at the end it was seven vocalists each with their own, own completely different electronic setup all in one room so we wanted to capture natural voice plus the electronics without too much bleed, but, you know, get the right levels with the monitoring. And it was like, it was a bit of a nightmare to be fair. I don't know how I'd have managed that. Um, but she was just, you know, solid, just happy, positive all the way through. It was brilliant. Yeah, no, she seems absolutely lovely. I just opened the quite recent Saffron Seven Days of Sound Festival, um, which was so much fun to do. And she hosted a session where she showed how she'd mixed one of Shura's tracks and the organization of her mix project. It was all <laughs> rainbow colors and, yeah. you know, it like, made me feel calm. It was like the Marie Kondo <laughs> <laughs> mixing projects and just oh, yeah. so beautifully laid out and so beautifully explained. And, you know, I, I think watching other people's process, it's, it's very healing because essentially as, as music creators and as producers, we're all kind of doing the same thing, but we just all have our slight, you know, we all have our own creative way of approaching things. And mm. that's what talent is ultimately. It's, it's that thing that's hard to define. And mm. yeah, it was just this beautiful rainbow colored project that <laughs> it, makes me, it makes me feel like calm just, just looking at it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah come to think of it looking at the arrangements yeah it was pretty well ordered up really nice and neat I, I dread I mean she I guess because she produces and she engineers and she mixes and she has people present with her in her studio quite often um I guess you know she's found she's found the um well, she's just organized whether or not she's got anyone there but I hate anyone to see my my arrangements oh my god I make such yeah. a mess yeah. I do so many things that I know I don't need to do, but this this is from someone who like learned how to produce, you know, from like putting sellotape over the corners of a cassette tape and pressing record. <laughs> That's my level of uh, organisational skills and technique. Yeah, well, you know, I've got to say, um, it's working. Whatever it is, <laughs> it is, people love it, and it's really. Bless you. <laughs> 
people can order this on Gazelle Twins Bandcamp and on Nick's Bandcamp as well? Um, I think it will just be the Nick's Bandcamp at the moment. I don't think I've, yeah, I think it's just the Nick's Bandcamp, yeah, because um, they're releasing um, Deep England on, they've, they're setting up a label. So um, I think it's Nick's Collective Records, they're called. Um, so yeah, just through them. Yeah, yeah. But the vinyl, the vinyl is available on my shop as well as right. their shop. And are you going to be doing anything for the launch of that, or like, or is that kind of hush hush, or is it a bit, you know, viral online, blah blah? <laughs> uh, it will most likely be uh, online oh, stuff. Such an awful word. Sorry. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> it's a word we're all very familiar with right now. Um, but yeah, no, it's. Um, I think we're, we're talking about some cool stuff. We're still. We've got a few things to kind of tease before the official release in March so there's going to be a bit more to sort of see in here before then um, and we're talking about ways to because obviously like the plan originally was that we'd get to perform this again live hopefully um, but well hopefully there might be a time where we could do that in the near future but I think we're just for now safe for bet is kind of just trying to work out alternative ways so they are expertly researching how to do that and yeah i mean there's a few there's a few really cool things i think that we've been discussing that, that i think i hope will happen yeah great and to round off this interview i wanted to ask you who is a woman in tech who's really captured captured you at present i'm just really impressed with anyone who can use machines to kind of make something beautiful um i'm just trying to think who can do i know several people who can do that really well do you mean machines as in ai or do you mean machines as in analog or how would you define i mean anything anything that's kind of you know a processing machine that can kind of transform you know ideas into 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 a new type of reality. I was listening recently to um, Anna Meredith's amazing new album, and she's someone I think I can identify, although she's kind of way up there in the sort of classical composer stakes, but like I can identify with her, you know, her the, the common ground that we have, which is, you know, this kind of classical background and, and using technology in, in, in really, in her case, really interesting ways. Uh, my uh, my son really loves her music. Um, I think that's just because there's something so complex about it, and I genuinely can't work out sometimes whether her music is kind of com composed or if it's kind of machine made. Like sometimes it's hard to tell, which is really impressive. I know I know she does use some technology, but I think that's actually really it's really impressive to to hear music where you kind of. Oh my, is this someone just playing this or and has it been composed or is this has this been chopped up you know in loops and and kind of sampled it's it's really quite phenomenal so yeah i'd say she's she's pretty or inspiring as a as a figure yeah um as a female figure in tech um 100 agree but if you want to hear about her techniques i already interviewed her for this hey. yeah. <laughs> one of the things that i love about her is that she loves presets she doesn't care she's not into you know she's like a, a preset yeah. will do 
and uh, I've seen her do various talks about her compositional technique where she shows drawings and it's all very visual and it's yeah it's really really quite extraordinary so yeah yeah we love Anna um <laughs> Elizabeth, cool. so much for your time it's always a pleasure to talk to you it's always a pleasure to just absorb your art and listen to your music and thank you so much thank you very much <laughs> Thank you so much for this week's wonderful interview, Elizabeth. And thank you all for tuning in and subscribing. Thanks to The Rattle for all of their technical support on this podcast. You can find out more about Witch at Instagram, Facebook and Twitter.com forward slash Witch. You can go to Witch.com to find out news and updates and to sign up to our monthly newsletter. Until next time, thanks and goodbye.